Welcome to the Naughty Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Horns of Odin. And before we start today's show, I have to do a little bit of housekeeping. And that is, as always, just to plug our Patreon. It's the way we keep the lights on. Uh, it's the way we pay the people that help out behind the scenes, like Rowan, Bob, Alyssa. They, they do a lot of work. Uh, and for that, you can join us for £3 a month, which is 10p a day. And you're going to get a bonus episode every week where we do a live Q&A with the guests. You can submit your questions before or during or after the episode. You can watch them live as well. There's also a live chat that goes on during the episodes, which is always a lot of fun. It's like a side quest to the main episode. You also get our Discord server which is also, again, a little community over there. Um, there's a lot of lovely people we've collected over the years. And for the the tier above that, you get the Storytime episodes with myself and Jonas Lorenzen, where we read through a different saga. We've we started to simplify these a little bit and make them a little easier to digest so they're uh, a tad more fun. We found that a lot of the original sagas kind of dragged on a little bit, to say the least, and had a lot of the same names for very similar people and became very difficult for us to uh, dissect. So yeah, we simplified that. They said they're getting a little bit more simple and uh, they're a lot of fun. If you haven't checked those out, you get the whole back catalog on there, but let's jump into the episode. So we have two returning guests. Obviously one is a, is a big welcome back. We haven't had him on for a while and that's Dr. Matthias Nordwig. I'm going to throw that in there. Um, obviously Jameson, Foster was on a couple of weeks ago, and then his first time appearing is Andrew Munns. Is that right? Did I pronounce that right, Andrew? I didn't check with you. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Wonderful. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. So, yeah, Matthias, it's lovely to see you again. I was saying how I felt nervous because you were there watching. I don't know. For some reason, my my legs stayed stiff the whole time I read that introduction. It was like out of a, a nerve thing that my leg just was like <laughs> shot out at like this angle. Uh, I'm just stuck like that. So I can relax a little bit now. You still well, put a few body me. Yeah, I was going to say it's great to be back. But since I'm you know, making you so nervous, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's just like when the teacher sits in, I guess. <laughs> that's why i'm the teacher <laughs> you, well, i mean technically you are literally oh yeah that's that mm-hmm. that is something i do i guess <laughs> we all but, need somebody among us who can be who can uh be that person to say actually yes yeah, right. <laughs> yeah i had that like guy. for us i had way over 100 episodes of that <laughs> that's true yeah. all documented for public <laughs> yeah we had a lot of but we're, we're here to talk about saga the musical which andrew i assume is your brainchild and then you brought these two lovely gentlemen along for the journey yes indeed um i it was something small that i had well, small, but uh, it was it was just a project, uh, just a, kind of an idea for a project at the time, and um, and uh, uh, for quite a few years, and it started to kind of come into fruition where I knew it was going to be happening this fall. I knew we were going to pull the trigger on this idea, um, but I didn't have a composer. I didn't have uh, much support uh, at that, uh, you know, then, and I had. Uh, attended a Viking tattoo talk um, that Matthias was participating in um, over in Victor, Idaho, which is uh, about 20 miles from here. And um, I'm in Jackson, Wyoming. And um, and 
uh, I went to go to that and I was so excited to actually meet Matthias because I, um, and I have, have kind of an af affinity for collecting books, as you can see from behind me. Um, and pretty much anything that has to do with Iceland specifically, I scoop up and gather. And um, and I had a copy of uh, the Matthias's book. Um, here's a little advertising for you. Volcanoes in Old Norse Mythology, uh, <laughs> Myth and Environment in Early Iceland. And that book actually informed some ideas for my show that weren't fully formed at the time. And um, and so I got in touch with Matthias. I went to the talk. We chatted um, and uh, we just started, you know, becoming friends in that respect. I hope that's okay for me to say that we're friends, Matthias. It's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then, um, Can you imagine if you'd just been like, no, when did we meet? I don't remember. Um, and then it was, uh, um, uh, fortunately, uh, Matthias scooped, uh, Jameson into this crazy little Sunday that we were making. And, uh, and, uh, the th three of us started, uh, you know, just kind of chatting about this idea. Um, uh, I told Jameson what I was hoping for for music. Um, Matias helped with some story elements and um, some accuracy. And um, that is kind of like the very basic gist of how the three Stooges came together for this crazy mm -hmm. little thing. So uh, so did you do musicals before? Did you have like a, a background in that? Yes. Yeah, so I've, uh, I've written um, a few... I do a lot of comedy and stand up, and uh, my background is in improv and also musical theater. And I wanted to, uh, I, I had done, you know, musicals in the past, a lot of satire things, but I'd never done anything dramatic. Uh, it was really important for me to um, to create something that felt very much my voice, but all and also my interest, but also uh, something that felt very epic in, in, in scale and epic in, in its nature. And, um, and so I utilized so much of my own education and, and experience over the years and siphoned that through this Icelandic sieve and, um, and put together this, this, this show that still has many elements of how a traditional musical is structured, um, but it also does its own unique things. It's not all completely dramatic. It does have some comedy within it, um, but it is a musical where all of the dialogue is in English and all of the lyrics are in Icelandic and Old Norse, which was a challenge. Just, okay. Just, <laughs> Does that take away from the experience in any way? Just, I guess, because typically I'm not a huge musical goer, but usually part of the story is told through the song as much as it is the spoken word. Right. And I I am probably right there with you uh, in terms of a you know, not, not always a huge embracer of traditional musicals. Um, I think they can be corny. They can be, uh, it can, you know, you can kind of be invested in the scene and then the piano starts again and you're just like, Oh my God, another song. Um, and it just gets so overwhelming and there's just too many people on stage, too many harmonies, too much like love, beautiful things just happening. You know, it's all like designed to like, you know, pull on this heartstring. Um, 
And so when I went into writing Saga, I knew that I wanted to uh, tell, like you say, tell this story through music. Um, uh, and, but, you know, it's not the in total. There's about seven, eight songs within this 90 minute show, um, but not. I think only maybe one or two of the songs like are close to the three minute mark. Um, okay. Everything else is a bit shorter, but um, that's only because we are incorporating and Jameson, you can speak more on this about um, that. We are incorporating more uh, chanting elements, more um, uh, just kind of repetitive, uh, you know, prayer style uh, singing. Um, and uh and then it gets more melodic kind of as the as the show uh, goes on. Um, it starts off with a very intense, you know, sacrifice scene, a blot, and um, and it ends with this like very joyous settlement song um, when the the when Reykjavik is founded. And and uh, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's it's even though the, the lyrics are in Icelandic, I think, or Old Norse, um, the audience uh, what, what we're doing with our actors is really trying to help them understand why they're singing what they're singing about. Um, because there's nothing that's super esoteric. Nobody gets like incredibly poetic about what they're singing about. Um, they are singing for the mood of the scene. And, um, and there will be a, you know, translation guide for audience members when they come see the show that they can, you know, they can look at and, and, and see what they're singing about. But my hope is that audience members come to this show, sit down, experience the show as it is, because I think a lot of American audiences have no concept of what Old Norse or Icelandic sound like. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I really just want them to get away from this idea that everything must be translated, everything. I must have the super titles above the opera, you know, um, just experience the language, experience the reality of what's happening on stage. And you'll understand more than you expect. Yeah, Jameson. So I guess that's a task for you to make people understand this language that they, pretty for for all intents and purposes, aren't going to understand. But you've got to try and get the meaning of the song across. Yeah. So what I found that the music, um, one of the one of the main purposes of the music is to set like a particularly Nordic mood, because you know one of the parts of it being in English. Right, is I think people can get immersed into the play and forget they're in Iceland from time to time, mm-hmm. especially ancient Iceland. And so the the music is interspersed about with a combination of what is historically Nordic, but also what is the kind of Nordic that people would expect from a Nordic musical, right? So it's striking this balance between historical accuracy, but also something that will relate to what people want today in their uh, in their art experience. So what, what I found is that the music has, uh, at least what I hope that it does, is adds a lot to the atmosphere and the mood to reestablish through not only the music, but the fact that it's in, you know, Old Norse and Icelandic. Uh, the music is interspersed out to be like, yeah, we're in Iceland, uh, in case you've forgotten. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's at least what, uh, what one of the uh, goals that I've had has been, is to just create a typically or expectedly Icelandic or Nordic mood uh, through the music, either through historical accuracy or through what people want out of a uh, out of a Nordic setting today. Yeah, because I guess is this is going to play in Jacksonville, Jackson, uh, Jackson, Jackson, Wyoming. Jackson. Yeah, me and my American place names. 
Don't trust That's me. That's fine. Those. So Jackson, why am yeah? So I guess just you have Bill to the end of it. Yeah, I just went for it. Like it's a it's a British thing. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, Jackson Shire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you got to yeah. You have to take people in 2023 in Jackson mm-hmm. and try and put them in Iceland. 874. In 874, <laughs> but also while speaking English. Mm-hmm. How do how do you plan on because I assume you don't have like a huge budget for tons of props and things that I guess would pull people in. Um, we uh, we don't have a huge budget, but we, I, you know, I'm a very resourceful uh, kind of producer and director. And um, and uh, I always say that my plays are held together by duct tape and a dream. And um, and in that's like my that life, is the to case. Be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm stealing that, um, Andy. Yeah, please. Um, um, uh, just pay me. Um, and <laughs> uh, so we will have like so the the concept of what we're doing, and and um, I'm very fortunate, and the reason why we are doing this ambitious, very strange, you know, show that isn't just like guys and dolls. Let's sell some tickets, you know. Um, we're we're really kind of taking a massive leap uh, with this because I recently uh, took over a theater right here in Jackson. Um, it's called the Pink Garter Theater. It's just off the town square. Um, it was built in you know the late '60s, opened in 1970, and um, COVID had shut it down, and so it kind of remained dormant. The building sold. They were looking for tenants and I jumped up and I said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And so I started a nonprofit called Tumbleweed Creative Arts. And that whole focus of that organization is to uh, empower local artists within our community um, and and basically tell them that, you know, if you have a big idea, if you want to create something like an Icelandic musical or a French cabaret of some sort, you know, um, and we want to host it in that space, this is where that those dreams will kind of like be be fostered and, and created. And we will help find funding through the nonprofit to actually make those dreams a reality. And Saga is our first big show um, since we established the nonprofit earlier this spring. And we uh we do have a bit of a budget i did kind of put on a big successful show this past may um that helped kind of jumpstart this organization and um uh, so we have been we got a ton of this like insulation foam uh like kind of like foam sheeting that was donated to us that was scrapped from another artistic project that an artist was working on in town. And so we ended up just getting piles of this stuff and our brains, you know, me and my team, our brains just started to really click and be like, Oh my gosh, we can make a Viking ship out of this. We can make panels for like backdrops. We can make um, a volcano. We can make all of these things. Oh, um, bloody love that way. Yeah. <laughs> <Those> volcanoes. <laughs> yeah. And um and so we we are really taking uh, taking a big step forward by transforming this audience chamber because it's ours now because we are leasing the space we can really make the decisions on what we are taking away or adding into our audience and we have these two balconies that are just over the like sides of the stage um, they used to have railings on them now we're turning them into cliff sides and we're like having. Um, there's even a, a moment when we talk about the Westman Islands, um, uh, the the moment where Inglefor, uh, and we'll I guess we'll talk more about the story in a bit, but um, mm-hmm. where you know our main character goes to 
get revenge on the death of his foster brother and uh and the westman islands of are named for these you know irish slaves who kind of escaped there and um and threw themselves from the cliffs uh and so i really was like we need to figure out how to throw somebody from a cliff in this show <laughs> and so we've created you know a crash cat like a catch net system that is like removable and safe and um are working with actors on like how to like throw themselves off a balcony uh so in terms of ambition you know this is what's great is that this is not just like you know making you know runes out of cardboard and just kind of dancing around the stage with horns mm -hmm. on our helmets um but uh it's, I, we're definitely leaning more <laughs> i i know we're, i know you said now that it's yours you can Kind of do what you want that doesn't mean exactly. you have to to do everything like throw your actors off as off balconies but why not Mateus, i guess you're predominantly there for the historical accuracy how are you and andrew together how do you keep it entertaining whilst maintaining the the accuracy because obviously we got sent to see a very popular movie a few years ago um the northman and as much as i enjoyed it i think that a, for the layperson it became very complex and a bit over complicated and an over over accurate in areas really trying to do justice to the time period which is wonderful but it becomes or can very quickly become stale and boring for people who aren't super into this stuff so mm. yeah how do you tackle that well to me it's it's about finding a balance between um this thing we call historical accuracy which you know is is a complicated conversation what what is what does you it said mean it. to say that there he is, I, there I, he I, is. it's complicated <laughs> um uh, keeping a balance between that and then you know the creative genius uh that would be Andy um uh, right so so the way that I see the role of sort of like doing this sort of, sort of historical consultancy is 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 more uh to to help furnish uh furnish the creative ideas and um knowing knowing what elements to pick out for instance uh come up with suggestions um um it, you know when when a lay person um uh, or a person who uh, knows a little bit about uh, old norse stuff history all of these things uh they want to create something right they can they can then talk to me about well how how do i do that in in uh, in context of of all of this material we have out there right because you know i i've spent so much of my life uh reading sagas and literature from medieval iceland and medieval scandinavia and um you know it will used to be a situation of like you know what i know exactly this story that could that could be useful for that and that, that could help you um kickstart the creative process or there's a detail over here or there's like an archaeological fact from this uh, location you know those kinds of things right um and um uh, then it comes down to the 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 the, the person creating the story right what elements they want to use uh 
mm-hmm. um, how much of it they want to use it, and you know what are they focused on in terms of creating a sense of authenticity in in in, uh, in their play, in their book, in their movie, whatever it is, right, in their song, um, and that I think is that's that's where you know I as a historical consultant, um, you know, just let unleash <laughs> unleash them right and say this this is this is your creative project here um mm-hmm. you can take take the information and use it however you want just don't put horns on somebody's thumb mm-hmm. <laughs> I, guess, I guess to a degree obviously when you've got your name on it you also can't you can't wildly go i guess you can give your advice but then andrew like it could put horns on somebody's helmets or whatever but your name mm-hmm. is kind of attached to it so then when it comes out even though you've given the accurate advice people i guess could still be like oh well mateus has advised on this maybe it's true or real i don't know i mean what what we should always understand is that we're we're modern human beings uh living in this particular historical moment interpreting the past um and and we do that on different levels based on the uh, information that we have available to us um so um you know scholars they in so many ways give qualified guesses to what that you know past looked like if we go back to the 870s um i mean we have so very little material to actually understand what the culture looked like in iceland um you know, the composition of the people themselves, like where did they come from? We we got some genetic analysis of skeletons that tells us there was a considerable portion of people who came from the uh, uh, British Isles and Ireland. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a couple of centuries and the historians in Iceland, they're, they're sort of representing the whole thing as like everybody came from Norway. Um, so, so what do we have there? Well, we have a discrepancy between the, the historical reality in the 800s and what uh, later authors of literature in medieval Iceland are saying. Um, that's the kind of information I can give you. And then you can take that <laughs> do with it what, what you want, right? I can, of course, also then, you know, make interpretations of like what happened. Why is that a situation? Um, my my interpretation of that is that um there, there there was some kind of like um what do you call it a, a low-key kind of genocidal uh situation going on in early Icelandic uh, history where the Gaelic population was slowly weeded out um by being denied access to resources, access to marriages, all those kinds of things, right? Um, but that's my interpretation of of the historical uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have good sources to 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 really help us fully understand what happened. Right? That's just an example, and you know, you can you can use any anything uh, any subject from from that period um, to um, rant forever about how you would like to interpret it, as yeah. you know, I'm good at right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I I guess then to throw that over to you, Andrew, as the writer. Um, because as I touched on in the in the plugs before the podcast started, and if you skipped over this, if you skipped over the plugs, then I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed in you. Uh, cause I'm going to throw back to it now where, you know, I would say me and Jonas have been doing a story time, which is where we read different sagas. 
and we've got caught up trying to read the most uh the, the most accurate one that we can find the oldest mm-hmm. um version of it and then we just a week in go oh fuck everyone's got the same name this story's going on for ages it's telling us about a bunch of people here that are not related to the story it goes on on a whole lineage tangent and it's all this stuff thrown in there that's just not needed because it was never written to be super uh entertaining i guess in mm-hmm. in a modern sense so how do you how do you find that of everything that mateus gives you when it comes to accurate information but then weaving it into this entertaining story mm-hmm. well i um what I did was um, because we are adapting the settlement story of Iceland um, as featured in Lan Lama Bok. Um, and that story itself is uh, is fairly sparse in, in, in details. I mean, as you know, with a lot of sagas, there is a lot of kind of mental filling in of gaps that is required of a reader, um, especially if the names are becoming, you know, burdensome to, you know, figure out, are we talking about that, you know, uh, a uh, Gisli or this Gisli or like you know this you know Athor son of you know Atni or whatever it is. Um, there are there are a lot of elements that you know get kind of dropped that, that drop away that would normally help really inform a a very you know good well written narrative, and so. With Landnamabok, because that story is so small, it is not, you know, it's not in the length of a normal Icelandic saga as we see them, or, you know, some of like the more epic ones that we we see as, you know, kind of the staples like Njal saga and whatnot. Um, this is a story that is, uh, it, you know, one of many other settlement stories within Landnamabok. Um, and... Uh, it's not the very first time anybody comes to Iceland and it is certainly, you know, not the reason other people come. It is a, uh, an, uh, Ingolfur Arnason is given the, the title of the first permanent settler of Iceland because in truth, this is the only, um, resource that we have, or at least like the, uh, you know, the, the only one that really kind of says, he came here at this time with these people for this reason and stayed. Um, there are, are other men- mentions of Ingolfur and Hjörleifur, his foster brother, um, or second cousin also, um, the, that, you know, appear in, um, in one or two other um, stories, I think. Um, but in truth, this is really the most narrative that we have of, of Ingolfur. And so with that, I really looked at how modern day Icelanders look at their settlement story. And I was actually really shocked to learn that it has never actually been dramatized in a big way. Um, you know, we in in the United States have countless actors who have portrayed people like George Washington and like, you know, our, you know, 200 year history is so important to us. And here Iceland has this, you know, thousand year history that, um, that is, you know, very, very complex and dense and full of very interesting humans that have existed. And, um, and yet there is no like big biopic of, <laughs> of Ingle for Arnason. There's no like, you know, a well-known novel that, that like tells that full story. Um, and so it was a real challenge 
uh, that I really that I welcomed to look at this story and say, what are who are the who are the main players here and what do they represent? Um, as a playwright, it's important for me to create scenes, right? I need to really kind of pick and choose which elements of this story will make for good narrative. And um, and so right out of the gate, um, we actually don't start in 874. We start in 1702 with Autni Magnusson, or Autni Magnusson, um, uh, manuscript collector, scholar, um, who created a census for the King of Denmark and uh, traveled around Iceland cre- uh, collecting manuscripts, you know, vellum leaflets, um, letters, and things like that, uh, that ultimately would become the Autni Magnusson uh, collection and, uh, and, and, and him being the very reason why we have so many great, uh, you know, actual primary resources of the sagas. And so in that prologue, he actually arrives at a woman's house in, in East Iceland and is collecting his census. And she says, Oh yeah, I have something here somewhere. Um, and she starts telling him about her ancestry, which if anybody has been to Iceland, people love to talk about how they're related to one of the first five families of Iceland, of like who settled here and, and whatnot. Um, everybody's related. Everything goes back. And um, and so she starts talking about how she is like the great, 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 great granddaughter of of Helga Atnadotir, who is the the sister, the blood sister of Inglefort. And... Um, and this saga that she has to give Adni Magnusson is actually a blank book. And she's going to make him, she's going to actually vocalize and tell him this story of the settlement from the way that her family has passed down the story to her. And so that is kind of the creative element that I, that I allow myself for telling this settlement story is that it's actually from the perspective of a farmer woman in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And um, we still touch on so many of the things that are mentioned in Lanama book, but it allows me to make some creative decisions, uh, including with the female characters, because as we know, there's not a ton of female heroes or female stories within the sagas. Um, uh and it allows me to create more of a um, a, a complex and and, and rich narrative, um, while still adhering to the the Lanama book, the, the the source material, but also the spirit of what sagas were and how stories were shared. Um, and you know, yes, these clergymen wrote them down, and and they've been you know documented in these things that are can be considered a little dry and full of names that we can't remember. Um, but ultimately, the stories themselves are very, very you know like they're very sweeping. They're very, uh, some of them are very romantic. Some of them are very intense and horrific. And, um, and so I really wanted to just honor that whole history with this one story. And that's why it's not called Inglefor saga or like the founding of Iceland. It is just called saga. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we have a lot of fun within that. And Matthias of course was so helpful in kind of helping like recognizing what I was trying to do, but also honoring what um, uh, the, the, the accuracy of what we do know and making sure that what we do know is implanted within that story. Mm-hmm. And if I can add something to this, um, you know, this, like 
Ari Thorkelson, who uh, presumably wrote Landau book, I mean, he he kind of did the same thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. So these little sh- short stories, four hundred and something, that are that are uh, recorded there in that book about the first settlers, um, they probably come from from some oral storytelling culture that probably existed at the Althingi, the General Assembly, right? So Ari, he would go to the General Assembly, just like everybody else who was a somewhat important figure in Iceland at the time. And he would spend time with all of these uh, um, chieftains and their retinue from different parts of Iceland. And, And that's where he would have heard these stories probably, right? And so then he goes back to um, to Otti, I think it is, uh, where, where he's writing and learning. Um, and then he writes these stories down. And one of the things that you can see uh, is also uh, both in, uh, in London uh, book and uh, in Eastlanding a book, uh, the, the, the book of Icelanders that he also wrote, um, is that he uses his scholarly knowledge he the 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 learning that he gets from books from the continent um he he uses this knowledge to calibrate dates for instance oh well um we can count the um the ancestry of this particular person who told me this particular story about their settler back to so and so which was around the same time where Harald the Harfakri uh, ruled in Norway, which was around the same time where this and that king ruled in England. Um, so that would have been so and so many years since the birth of Christ. Right? That that's how he's working. Right. So he's contextualizing these oral narratives um, that in and of themselves are kind of timeless. Otherwise, um, these the families themselves per- perhaps didn't care too much about trying to figure out exactly what year. Um, uh, the settlement uh, of their family happened um, in Iceland, uh, but he did because he's he's a learned scholar who is working within the framework of of the history that's designed by 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 the church of the time, right? Um, what, what year was it written? What year was it written down? Uh, long number book. Yes, eleven twenty. Um, we say we're not entirely sure, but around that time. There's a good there's a good distance between the actual settlement of mm-hmm. Iceland. And yeah. So how, how accurate do you think that his telling is, Matthias? And I guess because for most, I would say for maybe not for most people listening to this, but for most people who have a vague interest in this world, probably will take their settlement of Iceland from Vikings, the TV show, mm-hmm. and Floki and his journey over there and kind of settling and and I, and that and the whole idea of Floki finding Iceland doesn't just come from the TV show that is a something that's floated around it so, comes from Ari. Yeah, so, so that's so what do we know for certain and what can we kind of um so <laughs> it's complicated but <laughs> so we don't we don't know much uh, for certain right um so the, the Ari writes um, the story about Ingolver's uh, settlement. And then, um, what was it, back in the 90s or so, um, in downtown Reykjavik, there, 
they're uh, digging out uh, for a new building and they find a, a house that can then be um, accurately uh, dated to 872 plus one or two years um, because of an ash layer uh, on the, um, the structure. And so that to uh, to people confirms that Ari's uh, dating of the settlement is, is accurate, right? So that that's that's something that goes that feeds into the story as like, oh, this is actually a true story uh, because the, the the years align, right? Then you know, what was it four years ago or so? Um, archaeologists are excavating a, a location in further on the eastern side of Iceland. And they find out uh, that the location can be dated to the beginning of the 800s, so 70 years before. Um, and then all of a sudden, we're in a situation where it was like, oh, wait a minute, there was somebody living over there uh, 70 years before. Our historical sources say that uh, people first started to fully settle Iceland. And um, and that all just like complicates uh, the matter. Like, uh, So how are we supposed to understand uh, Ari's story. Well, we are supposed to understand Ari's story not as what we would call history today. We are supposed to understand it more in terms of myth, like what we would call myth today. Okay. I personally don't like the, that terminology because that you know, um, ultimately it it, uh, it sets up a, a sort of like a hierarchical relationship between stories saying that um oh the uh, the quote unquote historical information is more accurate than quote unquote mythical information um that's just not how it works right uh, humans um put their knowledge of the past into a context that mm-hmm. is for, informed by their present right and so when we for instance have the story about Hrafnafloki uh, that is a story that mirrors Noah and Noah and his ark and sending out the, the the pigeons or doves or whatever it is to to find land right mm-hmm. um the, here we have sort of like the viking version of it where it's ravens instead and any anybody who's well versed in the literature that ari would be well versed in knows that right Mm-hmm. That that's that's something that scholars have pointed out for for decades at least. Um, so that's how he's con- constructing a story of Iceland, and, and now Andy has constructed a new story of Iceland, and that becomes part of the storytelling of the settlement of Iceland, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think just in regards to this idea of fact versus myth, in in a really cool way there is that parallel with music, right, Jameson? Like the idea that the, you know, what instruments would have been brought along, you know, on these Viking trips, you know, across the sea. And in truth, it's not much. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so what I was thinking of uh, this whole time we've been talking about, uh, you know, myth versus history, uh, which is essentially how I would summarize the last bit of conversation, is essentially, Andy, what we experienced going through the St. Magnus hymn, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Nobilis Humilis, mm-hmm. where the, so the way that I have gone about making sure that the music, the historical side 
is not messing around and trying to get as historical as possible is actually go back to the earliest written music we have uh, from the Nordics. And just like Ladnama book was just from uh, the 12th century, the earliest bit of written music we have is from the uh, the 13th century. So just a little bit after Ladnama book. And that is a hymn written by a monk that was traveling through the Orkney Islands, uh, written for St. Magnus. It's also known as Nobilis Humilis. And also, as a fun fact, this is the earliest bit of music we have written down in the entirety of European history that is uh, harmonized. So it's more than one note at the same time. Uh, so that's just a little bit of a fun fact that at least as history stands, Norwegians came up with written harmony. Uh, <laughs> but the problem is, uh, the problem is that when I sent uh, my transcription and little MIDI file to Andy, he was like, this sounds a little churchy. <laughs> And I was like, well, yeah, it does, because it's a it's a church hymn, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even though the, the melody is accurate, it's not serving the mood or atmosphere that's trying to be portrayed in the in the play and in the narrative. And to me, it's more important that the music does serve the mood and the narrative uh, rather than it being as historically accurate as possible. So what we did is he said, Andy asked me, well, could you take the melody but just harmonize it in a different way that doesn't make it sound so churchy. And so I went through it a few times and I finally sent one to him. And according to Andy, it, it fit the mood, fit the mood perfectly while still retaining that basic melody. So that was a way musically where I had to sort of wrestle with being historically accurate, but also serving the narrative and the, the story that Andy is trying to tell. So even though I go back to what's historically accurate, it doesn't serve the narrative well because it does sound very like early Gregorian chants, like the type of stuff that, uh, you know, grandma would have had playing on the radio uh, or, mm -hmm. or what she would have had on CD. Right. So in, in, a, in a lot of ways, the St. Magnus hymn that we've arranged for this play has kind of been my favorite experience rather than uh, the music that I've written down originally, because I think that it's like a pretty poetic vignette of how to wrestle with historical accuracy versus uh, something that serves the narrative and the mood. And mm -hmm. it ended up being one of my favorite pieces. And now I like it more than the, or the original, <laughs> if I can say something that's like really full of myself, right? Because I've harmonized it in a way that is more folksy. It is more of a folk melody. It's something that you would expect a couple of people to be singing together while they work or something like mm -hmm. that, rather than something that's in some sort of sacred practice in a, in a chapel somewhere. Yeah. And so what happened with that is that I got the melody then. Uh, and then it was up to me to kind of come up with lyrics because Nobilis Humus is becomes this like Latin, you know, kind of uh, prayer to to God. And um, and in that scene, that is actually um, a scene that is sung or that song is sung by the Norns. So we have our our three Norns, Urur, Virandi and uh, and Skuld. And um, so they are the harmonizers of that song. And then we have another character who's actually named Saga, and she is this oracle priestess, Githia, um, who goes off on her own journey when she does join Inglefor on this, this trip to Iceland. Um, she is the oracle that is mentioned in, uh, in La Namabok, that he gives a sacrifice to, and uh, the oracle advises him to to throw the pillars into the water, the um, the Sulur, and that these pillars need to be thrown to the water upon first sight of land, wherever they they are 
they land on the shore. That is where you will settle. And of course, the story takes place over the course of three years, uh, which is the amount of time, uh, the three seasons that it took, um, or three winters, basically, that it took to find these pillars and ultimately settle Reykjavik. So Saga, the Githia, goes off on her own journey while Inglefor is on his own. And she is kind of our connection to the more mythological realm. She does encounter Odin, and uh, right before she does, she uh, we have this thing in the script where it says she walks through four seasons. And this song starts, and we've taken the uh, lyrics from Voluspau. Um, and so instead of nobilis humilis, it's hun thatne visikvar hon sali auti. And so... Uh, it's taken directly from that. And so it allows for this kind of um, this connection to the source materials that we do have access to, or the, the original kind of poetry in the Eddas that we are familiar with now. Um, and it, it implants that and kind of offers this really cool kind of stew of so many different elements with our own creative knowledge, with Jameson's knowledge, with, with Matthias's ability to, um, and just like vast, you know, just mental capacity for so much information and ability to translate. So we've kind of, you know, I think with with another year's worth of time, this could be something like massively, you know, huge and, and like a, a very, very well, you know, put together thing. But we're doing this in a matter of months. Mm -hmm. And so we are kind of taking a lot of shortcuts. Um, but it's it's a really fun process and it really feels strangely accurate to just the concept of storytelling or the concept of, of artistic creation of the Viking era of people coming together and, and um, basically just offering their voice and offering their own bit of knowledge and creating something together. It feels very primal in that way. Yeah. Sounds awesome. I, I okay. I have a few questions that have, that have popped up and I, I have to pause back to something that I cannot let go. Um, because did you say it took three seasons to find the logs? First of yeah. all, is the log thing, is that, is that, is that, is that part of the saga? Is that like a true thing that people did? They just threw a log out and let it wash ashore, and that was where they settled. Matthias, um, well, so I know that there's actually some uh, some archaeologists I think in Iceland who have experimented with it and tried to to, to do that, and every time they've done it, um, the logs have like gone straight into the North Atlantic somewhere. <laughs> okay. that, that's the, that's at least the hearsay that that I that I know about about that. But it's a it's a standard story in the saga literature, as you know, right? Like so it's always like uh some uh guy in Norway somewhere that takes his uh uh, which we tend to translate to high seed pillars, but they, I mean, the word means something like uh, spirit way um, pillar or something like that. Um, 
these effigies that represent their um their their family their their genealogic history and their connection to to the gods and and all that stuff they they take that with them on the ship and then they when they come within sight of Iceland they're supposed to take down the dragon head of the on, in the front of the boat so that they don't scare off the land right here and then chuck that uh, pillar overboard and then go find it somewhere on the beach because then the gods have ordained uh, the land that you're taking now um the reason that that story is in there is uh, is in all of this literature is because uh, we're dealing with um you know genealogic stories that belong to these land owners in the 13th century and 14th century um and so for them it's an important way of authentic uh, authenticating their right to rule and in that post conversion era this this narrative about taking land that way is interpreted as they're they're essentially directed by God to go there. Okay. Their ancestors have just like, kind of misunderstood the whole thing about God, and so they they uh, um, they 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 worship some different gods. But uh, but that's okay. It, it doesn't matter. That you know mm-hmm. we're fine. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's how that works. I guess okay. the the issue I have it isn't with the logs. It's the three years to find said logs. Iceland's not that big. Um, so if I'm not finding it within six months, I'm just settling. Not even six months. And that <laughs> Two that days. actually factors in directly to the story. Um, oh, does it? Yes. Because um, after, after a couple of days, I'm like, all right, well, I'm just picking. Yeah, Clearly, just... the log has gone into the North Sea. Like, can I can I just mention something here? So, um, it, how after the Exodus of, from Egypt, how how long? Uh, are the Israelites uh, walking around in the desert before they get to Jerusalem? 40 days and 40 nights? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's a little longer than that, my friend. 40 years? <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's where we're at, right? Okay. <laughs> I love I love that everybody's like, uh, I don't know, bunch of heathens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you if you go on Google Maps and you and you and you plot in uh, uh, the journey from uh, let's just say Cairo to uh, uh, to Jerusalem, you find that it takes about seven days to walk, right? So uh, what are we what are we dealing with? Are, are, are just like are the Israelites just like lost in Sahara somewhere? Did they, they go the wrong direction? No, this is of course these kinds of ways of like talking about oh it took so and so many winters or so and so many years, right? This this is to um, you know underscore the um, the arduousness of of the mm-hmm. journey and um and and really let you know that they that they fought hard to find these pillars right mm-hmm. yeah see i was thinking maybe it was just a husband who had created a second life somewhere and came back home and was like you know what took us three years to find these those pillars we you know i'm really sorry love but I, this is the reason why i'm back oh and by the way there's a little little me as well coming along for the journey but don't don't ask questions about that one like, like, i found him there yeah i found him <laughs> the uh the pillar actually just morphed into a human child um so i'm actually i'm gonna throw something in the group chat here uh this map that i've put together 
um, of the journeys of our characters for uh, in Saga, because uh, you'll see that in in La Nama book, it talks about how Vifit and Katli, who are two thralls that are loyal to Inglefor, are the ones who go to find the pillars. And um, there are uh, yeah, there's like artwork in Reykjavik and like uh, there's like a car carving on a door and I forget what building it is, but um, of that shows like these two Irish thralls, uh, like lifting these, you know, heavily adorned, beautiful totem pillars. And, um, and so I had to kind of figure out like, okay, why does it take three years to find them? Why did we not just get in a boat and circle around and just go search for them? Um, mm -hmm. What is, what, what, what prevented this story from just kind of not taking three years? And so I came up with a plan. And um, and when Vifit and Katli, they're mentioned, they 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 start their journey west. We know where Inglefor, well, we, you know, quote unquote, know where Inglefor landed because it's called Ingles Hövdi or like Ingolf's head or landing. Um, and uh, that's in the south of Iceland. Um, and from there, Vifit and Katli are actually sent off to the West uh, to go search for uh, for the pillars. They come across Hjörleifur's settlement because Inglefor and Hjörleifur end up parting. They don't settle in the same spot. Um, and uh, so I, and, and the, what Lan Namabok tells us is that Inglefor was more pious. Hjörleifur kind of did his own thing. And um, and so he ends up settling at Hjörleifshövdi, which is just yeah, very close to Vik in South Iceland. Um, and so, you know, Vifit and Katli are walking along or, you know, they, they take their journey. They come across Hjörleifur's farm and they see that he's been murdered. And so um, they have to go back to Inglefor and tell him what is going on. And so in the story that I've written now, I have Inglefor send them now east um to go find the pillars while he goes west to go avenge the death of his of his brother um and so there is also the question from these two slaves of like can we have the boat and he goes <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so i've written it down where i'm like no you can't um uh i will go sail you know and go say go bury my brother and you will have to venture east because you can't yeah, like the, the the pillars will be too difficult to be spotted from the sea because so many trees wash up on these shores. So you actually have to like go walk every square mile of the oh, of yeah. the coastline <laughs> and go find them. And so that's what happens in this play. Oh, and nice. so you'll see in that map the Vfit and Cotley line, that red line goes the entire perimeter <laughs> yeah. of the damn island. <laughs> and they go the long way around when in truth. If they didn't find Hjörleif for dead, they could have just continued on, found the pillars mm -hmm. a little bit quicker. Okay. But alas, you know, oh, MacGuffin geez. narrative, you know, thing that <laughs> yeah. things that like, you know, bounce them away. And mm -hmm. um, so I had a lot of fun trying to figure out the, the puzzle of of how to make this story work. And um, and that three year journey uh informs so much else of what happens, including like Inglefor, who I play. So I'm I'm playing Inglefor Atnason. And uh, so I have been, you know, I have like kind of my fall from grace of like the gods brought me here. Why have we not found the pillars? Why is it taking so long? And, um, and so we have all these kind of like little elements over this, this, the course of this time period to help further the narrative and actually make the finding that much more important and that much more of a celebration scene. Um, and, 
yeah, so it's 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 pretty fun to kind of uh, have the challenges of a lack of information or yeah. um, and kind of make decisions from there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Uh, for for listeners, if you want to look at the map, we will pop it on our Instagram when we post the, okay. the episode for release. Yeah, I, I think I would have gone down a route of maybe like a Monty Python sketch of like each family <laughs> finds somebody else's pillar and just like right. kicks it back into the seas. Like this one's too nice for you. This one yours? Yeah. yeah like, that's not ours. It just like pushes it back into the ocean and lets it like ride around for a few months and oh, yeah. somewhere else. I, but everyone just finds everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, three years is probably a good amount of time to like actually get it accurate to like what they used to look like if you were to carve them from 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 the start. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, maybe if you fit and cuddly, just like sit around, start carving logs and being like, how about this one? No, that one doesn't look as good. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's start over, start over, start over. They'll never believe that one's it. <laughs> yeah. And then they like put them in the water and then they're like, hey, here they are. <laughs> yeah. Just run out from behind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Jameson, one of the other things I wanted to pull back was the the song uh who homerus please say it for me again no nobilis humilis but it's also nobilis just called humilis. the, the saint magnus hymn okay nobilis humilis 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 yeah okay could can we just read that if you're musical minded today can you just read that and know what it says and play it um oh how I different mean, like, right is it now, to, like, i've got a right now i've got like a head cold as you can tell i'm not i'm not singing anything on the spot right now but the uh the, the melody itself, like if you were to go to YouTube and just do St. Magnus hymn, like just type in St. Magnus hymn, actually Trio Medieval, uh, which is one of the best medieval uh, Nordic ensembles today. They're incredible. They have a rendition of it. Um, I, I, I actually wasn't meaning you, you personally oh, sing it right sorry. now. I was meaning like, <laughs> because obviously it's the oldest yep. hymn, hymn, mu- mm-hmm. no, what do you say? Hymn music? Yeah, so it is. It's hymn. It's hymnal music. Because okay. a lot of the, the music from that time period that was written down was uh, for, for Christian purposes. But yeah, what I was meaning is just couldn't come somebody who just reads sheet music today pick that up and look at it and go, yeah. oh, I can just play this. Yeah, so th- luckily being from the so like, the earliest music notation that people can can find dates back all the way to like the 6th century. But it doesn't start becoming legible to us today until like the 900s, um, and so okay. by by the 12th century, it's pretty legible, and people have a, you know, there, there's a whole type of musicologist that goes back to old uh, Gregorian chant notation and tries to transcribe it in a way that we can read today. So yeah, you can find the sheet music to it, and you can play it. It's pretty simple. It's all in an easy key. It's all for anyone musically minded. It's all in thirds, pretty much, as most of it was back then. Uh, yeah, it's just the the because it was made for a made by a monk in a Christian context. The the text is in Latin, uh, and it does it's has a lot of musical traits to it, which does put you right back in church. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, <laughs> but that's definitely gonna, a musician or a singer today could definitely read it and sing it to themselves. That's gonna be a beautiful thing because it's a it's a snapshot in history. That's it is what it is. Those notes are those notes. So you're gonna play them and yep. they're gonna become hear what they heard back then yeah that's that's honestly you know you had me on a few a few weeks ago dan and we talked about this a little bit but to me like that's one of the beautiful things about music is like the notes might change but uh no matter how much it changes you look back at it you know a thousand years later mm-hmm. and uh, it can still resonate with you even if you are so detached from the person who wrote it or the people who would have sang it uh it, it's still there's just something about 
music that just it makes it kind of timeless to us as long as we mm-hmm. can read the notation and sing it back is there any of uh Mateus's drum and bass popping up in the play <laughs> honestly it came up it came up i told him I, when they approached me i was like Matthias, just use your old drum and bass material you don't need a composer <laughs> so uh you know yeah, i wish I, tr- but... I tried to run it by andy but he, he was it, not a boy <laughs> it was a harsh no harsh yeah. no. <laughs> i'm disappointed i would have it, it, it was too danish for me i don't know <laughs> how is drum and bass danish the drum bass, if anything, is British, right? Yeah, I think but so. the way you do it. Yeah, it just gives it the, the Danish twist. But I will say, if I if I can say if I can say one more thing about uh the, the music is it's not all like repurposed old church music. Um mm-hmm. you know, Andy made it very clear to me, he was like, even if it's not like historically accurate, I do want like a high lungy uh, yeah. type yeah. feel to it, right? So there's a uh, there's a whole range in music sounds that I think actually kind of subverts any expectation of there being like one right way to make music for a time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we also use the old Icelandic hymn Herhimna uh, Smither. My favorite is uh, Andy. Can you remind me what the name of like the unofficial Icelandic national anthem is? Oh, Jäger Komen Heim. And so um... he gave he gave me this old like r&b 50s take on 1960s it like, yeah sorry 1960s r&b it came out in the 60s it. yeah <laughs> to uh to, and like arrange it to fit in like this old isolated context but then there are tunes that i i wrote from the ground up there was like all right how can i capture like a high long eve our journey type sound mm-hmm. um so there's a, a wide range that's like well if you don't think this sounds accurate how about this on the other yeah. end of the spectrum so mm-hmm. we cover a lot of uh stylistic ranges we do a tv songer um yep. which is like the two song two voices which came in to play in iceland in oh, i don't know 15 1600s something like that yeah if, i mean if anything that's going to be the most accurate of all because andy you kind of mentioned early on Ice- icelandic music history is actually notable in the absence of instruments just because of mm-hmm. how valuable wood is how valuable crafting materials are um so music was predominantly vocal in iceland Uh, for as far back as we can understand it Mm -hmm. um but then if you factor that into doing a musical i don't think it would be an immersive or exciting experience for all of the music to just be vocal so Mm -hmm. like that's another you know uh, middle ground you try to find Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's the thing with with bands like uh vodruna and heilung they've become so synonymous with that time period that when you're trying to put people into Iceland in you know the eighth century, mm-hmm. then when you put music like that in there, it kind of automatically gives that feel to it, whether it's a hundred percent accurate or not. Yeah, yeah. Like the biggest, the biggest thing is the the uh, one of the main instruments that Andy had us writing on or playing with was the tall harpa, which has one hundred percent become synonymous with Viking music. Um, even even though like the range of when it was introduced to Scandinavia like varies by hundreds of years, it probably wasn't the eight hundreds, but at the same time, you know, the Romans had Bodleers and the Romans traded with the Nordics. So who's to say one didn't slip in, you know what I mean? Mm. So even if someone's gonna say, like, technically Iceland never had a tall harp or something like that, I can be like, you don't know that there wasn't at least one. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's just it is playing with both the uh Again, just that thing that I, I'm probably beating to death at this point is finding that middle ground between, you know, myth and like historical accuracy. Yeah. Do right. you have to? 
you have to find that beautiful spot i don't know if if you're aware andrew of um the wrestling show that ed gamester's been doing it's a take on ragnarok through the medium of i guess modern day wrestling um as in oh, wow. pro wrestling as in pro wrestling uh, yeah. they did i think they did 30 days at the edinburgh fringe i think they're doing the fringe in australia in melbourne at the minute oh, amazing um and that's just become super popular and you know he's had to take liberties with of course because he has to put it into a wrestling setting and make it entertaining but for me when i when i've seen it it's been an amazing extremely entertaining show um so yeah i guess where do you where, where do you see this going where's the broadway oh man um i i don't think at this point when i look at just modern uh modern broadway modern creativity in america right the the, the stuff that gets funded the stuff that gets money is all um it's all you know market tested nobody takes big risks anymore it needs to be a remake of a previous ip okay. everything on broadway right now is a musical of a movie that already existed and that's like movies in general i think Most yeah and so and so we're finding ourselves in this weird cycle and um and you know over the course of my own career and i am from small town you know wyoming and uh but here i'm this like celebrity in, in in respect because um what i've been doing is just my own stuff you know and i i have directed and, and and been in other shows that were written by other people but my mo is just to create new work constantly i'm i love writing i love coming up with new stuff and so i've been told repeatedly go to new york go to la you know become yeah. famous you have the talent you can go do it you can go you know be the thing but the reality of those things is just it's it's ridiculous because I have to I would have to completely bend over backwards and get my foot in the door. And by doing so, I would have to do so many other things I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and same goes for Broadway. Right. You have to like, uh, you know, there are there are certain shows that will be noticed, you know, on a small level. Let's say, you know, the the play that won the Tony, I think, a year or two ago is called A Strange Loop. I think it was created in it was created in the midwest and like you know minnesota and um and got recognition and ended up going to broadway and winning the tony um but that was a more relatable show mm -hmm. our show is very esoteric and strange and so when i think about fringe festivals i think that's a great idea but in truth like i would love to be able to bring this to iceland um i would love to be able to uh to share it with that that population because it's Iceland is a place that I have been going back and forth between Wyoming and Iceland, uh, just this, these two places, uh, for 10 years now. And, uh, over those years I've, you know, lived there, I've worked there, I've, you know, created a great group of friends, but, um, I've never had the ability to just kind of like stick around and stay, uh, for various reasons. And so I want to, be able to bring this this show to Iceland in some respect and and um you know not just like perform it as is because undoubtedly I've gotten a few Icelandic you know language things wrong I've gotten a few details that may you know not be as great for like the general Icelandic population they might not love it or whatever um 
So I, I want to bring it there and I would like to like workshop it with an actual theater group in Reykjavik. I think the national theater would be incredible. That's like real high hopes. Cause they're like the Broadway of Iceland. Um, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of, uh, you know, um, like new and risky stuff. And, but, you know, sometimes good, sometimes very bad. Um, if you heard about the Madam Butterfly debacle over there, uh, with a bit of, uh, Asian appropriation. Um, but, in truth, I want to um, utilize this show and I've written it and Matthias can attest to this too. I've written it with a lot of weird modern Icelandic isms in it um, <laughs> from the from the old guy in the hot tub who wants to tell you and like about his life and become your friend. We've to, all met um, this guy at some we've point. All we've all met that guy. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, that, that, that scene happens in the show. We have um, a, in the very prologue uh you know you have this old icelandic woman and arni magnuson who is like born in iceland but like educated in denmark and she is just berating him for his danish isms from his accent to his loyalty to his mission um and just being like so nationalist in her own heart um and we have like I've over the years of my time in Iceland, I've been able to garner so much information and so much um, fun culture and and slang and things like that from um, from my my Icelandic friends and my experience there. So people can look at this show and say, you know, OK, this scene takes place in the 700s and the Icelandic woman says, yeah, OK, did they have OK in 1700? No, but. It is a, it is the matter of mood, and so this idea of historical accuracy is actually kind of thrown out the window for the most part. It's it's more so a, 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 an ode to history, an ode to okay. the saga, an ode to the the settlement story, and an ode to modern day Iceland. And um, that's why at the very end, yes, it, it takes place in eight seventy seven, you know, three years later, but. They are singing, you know, which is like this Icelandic thing that every fucking Icelander knows and they love it. And it is like this this song that is about, you know, how much they love it. And it's like, look how like the bay turns to silver and the glacier, the glacier is shining and we're home. And um, and I'm like, this is the perfect uh, kind of modern twist that I would like to just plug into this moment but the difference being that we are in this historical context is and so james and i have like have played with this song and now it's like it's like very like i'm like viking style same lyrics but like <laughs> turned it into this that i'm coming home um and i need it's... i need everyone to understand my confusion when andy was like hey we need to include this song in here here's a recording and I hit play. First, I see the album cover, and I'm like, '60s, '50s ish. Yeah. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be interesting. And then I hit play, and it's like a song that would be like right at home in like the Fallout radio. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I, Andy, how do you want me to do this? And I was like, well, <laughs> I'll just I'll find a way. And somehow it happened. But like, mm-hmm. I was not expecting one of the songs that Andy really wanted in the play to be like that. You know what I mean? It was just like that. That was one of the more interesting projects that I was given. And uh, it was just a hell of a lot of fun, but definitely way out of left field. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it something that you can tour around uh, the States? Is that, is I that mean, eventually, I, I, yeah. I mean, what I would love is like 
I don't want to let Saga just like our, our, our shows go from October 26th through November 11th. And so we just have three weekends that we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not something I would ever want to just like be like, okay, move on. We did the thing. Go by because. Because yeah. it seems the, like such, such amount of work to then. Yeah. Go, oh, next thing. Yeah. And so like as a touring company, I don't know because I'm, I'm the executive director of my own organization now and we're like paying rent on this damn theater. Okay, yeah. um, and so it's like, man, if we could, if we want to bring it back, we could, because now we have all the set pieces and all of that. Um, but like, uh, I think this is the beginning of a longer journey for saga. I would love to, right now it's only 90 minutes. Um, it's it's all told in one act and so there's no actual intermission and uh eventually you know like with this if, if this is successful and if people really love it and and enjoy it um as much as we have we enjoy putting it together including my cast of 18 local actors who are learning icelandic for me uh, for this thing we have our director dylan hannah who is 20 years old and he is so capable and so intelligent and he's taking this challenge on so we're all kind of putting in this really fun equal effort right now that um it's it just makes sense that this will continue on in some way shape or form at some point um but I work with local actors. They all have day jobs and kids and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we are, we are not a professional theater company by any means. Yeah. Um, so eventually when I look at something like fringe, those opportunities, that's like, okay, how do we either condense this show? So we don't have to, you know, pack up a Viking ship and bring it across the yeah. sea. Um, uh, or, you know, how do we kind of both condense and expand it? And um, I think it's just going to evolve in the same way that mm-hmm. sagas, did over yeah. the years so you, yeah you'll learn things from mm-hmm. doing it you're going to learn what works what doesn't work are there any plans to live stream it in a way i guess because it is a very niche topic yeah. you are going to draw in people and hopefully pull in people who don't know this topic yeah we will record it and so we will film the show and um and we'll make it available on our website um at, at some point um uh, if anything, you know, you will see clips on like what well, that will like throw out on on Instagram and, and things like that. We're just getting started with our kind of advertising campaign mm-hmm. um, to let people know what the hell this is. Um, and uh, yeah, so we'll, 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 there will be opportunity to see more of this show and um, and we'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do better at sharing more about our rehearsal process and all of that because uh yeah, it's hard to do it all, but we're we're making it work. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's I can attest to that. It's difficult to do everything, and social media tends to it's one of the most important things, but it's also one of the yeah, things. So that, it's a time suck. Yeah, it's one of the first <laughs> things to go when you're really busy and you're trying to do all these real life things. It's mm-hmm. social media is the first thing to just be like, oh, I'll post tomorrow. I'll yeah. film that tomorrow, and then tomorrow there's another list of things you have to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so is there anything we've missed before we we jump on and do a Q and A Q&A after? Is there anything that you feel? Um, I do want to mention that in that first weekend, Matthias and Jameson will be coming up to Jackson from Boulder, awesome. and uh, well, they'll be doing lectures uh, that are related to our production. And so we have like this whole opening weekend is going to be very fun. Um, and so if you guys want to talk about what you will be talking about. Uh, that weekend, maybe we can include that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be you know, giving a little bit of a historical background to the 
settling of Iceland. Um, also got some posters and stuff that's going to be up in the um, in the foyer uh, at the at the theater um, about the history of Iceland, about Ari Thorkelson writing all this stuff, and what else there is there in there? Oh, oh, uh, connecting Vikings and like North America in different ways. Like how how Vikings have played a role in North American culture, um, and a couple of other things. Yeah, yeah so you know, if you volcanoes, few... not so much the volcanoes, like a little bit tattoos, <laughs> tattooed, tattooed volcanoes, volcanoes. <laughs> yeah. tattooed in a live volcano. Yes, <laughs> you got some of that as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jameson, what are you going to be talking about? Uh, in a wild surprise turn of events, I'm going to be talking about Viking music. So, uh, uh, with a particular you know. emphasis on on Iceland, mm-hmm. uh, because honestly, it's it's interesting because when people talk about Vikings, uh, like the history of it, there's a lot of focus on Iceland. When people talk mm-hmm. about Viking music, that's when the focus shifts towards Norway, yeah. uh, in particular, and it's very different. You know, music developed very differently in both places. I already touched on the lack of instruments, but. Mm-hmm. Yes, that'll be that'll be fun to give the historical context before I then show people how I'm breaking the historical context <laughs> in the music I wrote. So that's gonna be an interesting little experiment. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, perfect. Yeah, let's let's jump over and do a little Q and A and let people ask you guys some questions. Um, yeah, if you want to listen to the Q and A, you get it on our Patreon. Like the, again, I said at the start of the show, it's three pound a month and helps us keep everything going, keep producing the show, and just hopefully getting better and better quality as we go along um do you all want to shout out where people can follow you i'll let you go first andrew where people can find the show find you follow the instagram that you're now going to be posting the rehearsals on um yeah so uh our uh instagram is tumbleweed creative arts so at tumbleweed creative arts um and that is our kind of uh where we're going to be posting a lot about our show um and all future shows um and then my instagram is at muns of steel um m-u-n-z of steel um and then our website is www.tcajh.org perfect Jameson, you go next. We'll let Matthias win. Because he's just, he just, he's just, he deleted his Facebook and everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys can find me on Facebook, Jameson Foster. There's not many of us. Uh, but then you can find me on Instagram at Nordic Sound Channel. Uh, follow the uh, Nordic music platform uh, that I that I run. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Matthias? Well, I mean, you can always go to my website, M-A-T-H-I-A-S-N-O-R-D-V-I-G dot com metsiasnorbeef.com um and see stuff that i do there listen to my podcast the sacred flame if you feel like it and find me on instagram as well by putting in my name m-a-t-h-i-a-s-n-o-r-d-v-i-g metsiasnorbeef and uh then you can follow me there and see the pictures that i put up of my wood stacks and yeah oh uh, i I recently got a a wood burning stove yeah i'm one of you now i'm converted <laughs> I, I got a wood store i've been stacking it all neatly i hit it's gripped me it's fun it's it's amazing i love it i still have a huge pile of chopped wood 
up the hill over here that I need to like run down to where we're going to need it. So, you know, fun things. And uh, it, it was actually kind of snowing a little bit the other day already. Oh, so, yeah. uh, Best winter uh, of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, it does feel like every time I go up to Matias's place, he has like just finished playing with wood in some capacity. And I feel mm-hmm. like every time he's like, Hey, do you want to come see my wood? And I'm like, well, it's not worded yeah. that way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that note, on that note, we're finished. <laughs> Matthias, uh, we need to book you in to come back on soon as well. And we can have a yeah. chat, have a nice catch up and, yeah, I would love it's that. Been a little, it's been a little while. We, yeah, we, will, yeah. we will book that. Uh, perfect. Well, thank you very much. And I, yeah, I can't wait to to see the show. Hopefully, one day I get to see it live. But I'll definitely watch the recording, unless I suddenly get tons of money from people signing up to Patreon for slash Naughty Mythology Podcast, and I can just fly out there and watch it. That would be nice. So yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Everybody sponsor his tickets. Yeah, people people want to do yeah. that. You know, I'm not gonna complain. I mean, <laughs> hey, if you if you can fly here, you'll have a free ticket to the show. So oh, there we go. There we go. Well, hopefully, maybe people feel generous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Thank you very much. <laughs>